Sometimes the Buddha was asked what is the essence of his teaching. And on many occasions he he said, "I, I teach just two things. Dukkha, suffering, and the ending of suffering. Don't let anybody tell you that Buddhism doesn't have good news. (laughs) Suffering and the ending of suffering. And I think it's uh, quite important that he didn't uh, start out making us uh, enthusiastically proclaim I believe in Nibbana. (laughs) Come on, you can do it. Don't be bashful. (sighs) You can do better than that. I believe in Nibbana. Because if we don't know it, he started with uh, what we can know, what we can experience, rather than pointing his finger, you're suffering, (laughs) not like me. (laughs) He said, there is dukkha. There is that experience. He didn't make it so esoteric that we couldn't find it. have to look it up in a dictionary somewhere. Birth is dukkha. Mom used to say, now Randy, I think I know why you went into the monastery. It's because I fell down those steps and you were a month premature, and you spent that first month in a box. <laughs> That's why you like meditating in the, <laughs> in the little room. My, my sister-in-law planned the perfect water birth and they had it all kind of worked out. It was going to be amazing. And little Zoe just uh, wasn't ready yet. Hour after hour after hour after hour. It was uh, agonizing. After 50-something hours, she had a cesarean. It was painful. Aging stuka. Sharder reminded us <laughs> vividly. <laughs> you know, and on occasion, if you had a microphone, when when uh, Tennis and I are getting up in the morning, 
It's too difficult. <laughs> Being with aching body is not easy. Birth, aging, death. Being with what you don't want to be with. This is not a specialized experience. Being united on occasion with what you don't want to be with. Being separated from what you want to be with, from the loved. It's dukkha, not easy to bear. Dukkha can be translated not easy to bear. Not getting what you want. This is the Buddha laid out so that we can recognize these experiences. And he summed it up in short, summing all of them up. We chant this in the morning. Focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha. Whatever the mind that wants to grasp, possess, whatever the focus is, that grasping mind is dukkha. And also, rather than saying, come on, let me hear you say it, I believe in suffering. The Buddha said, there is dukkha it needs to be open to. Understood. Stood under is shard encouraged to us. Be, be willing, rather than feeling ashamed that we're suffering, a failure that we're suffering. And it can be quite uh, easy to, rather than to be open to it for the sake of understanding it, so quickly kick into blaming somebody, heads are going to roll. <laughs> Who's responsible? And then we're not in touch with that. We're, we're energized about getting back. And on this, this retreat, in the heart of the retreat, there's, there's been a... Um, beautiful effort, praiseworthy effort. Remember, this is an ennobling truth that when we open to what's not easy to, to, to be with, our humanity, our capacity to be realistic, to be human, deepens. With the in-breath and the out-breath, the feeling good and the not-so-feeling good things seeming to go well and then not going well. And as one opens to dukkha, there's the possibility of recognizing how we, we perpetuated the experience of suffering, stress, what the Buddha called grasping, when, when desire focuses on what pleases us, what's agreeable, what we want, and there's a trying to keep that. It's the origin of dukkha, which the Buddha encourages us, needs to be let go of, relinquished. When we notice suffering rather than blaming, open to it, understanding it, and being interested how we 
can perpetuate it. Also learn to practice letting be, letting go. That the ending of suffering needs to be tasted, experienced, known for us, rather than saying, believing in Nibbana, the great awakened one is inviting us to taste, to realize peace, the ending of suffering. And this path to the ending of suffering, this path of virtuous living, ethical living, that kind of living which we reminded ourselves of the first night, on the first night that is a gift and a blessing to countless beings when we live harmlessly, mindfully. This path is that practice of living like that, practicing little by little by little by little by little, stabilizing ourselves, grounding ourselves, remembering as opposed to dismembering, remembering, connecting with presence, mindfulness to this body, to this heart, to this mind. Learning how to, to enjoy simplicity, gathering our energy so that we then also can look into the nature of things, and be freed from confusion, freed from that which causes distress this path leading to the ending of suffering, the Buddha said, needs to be cultivated. So with our, with our gathered uh, presence, and even though we might not think we, we have, the field is emanating the fact that we together collectively have cultivated a significant, a significant amount of presence. And yes, we think, oh, but I could have a bit more, and you know, I just, you know, my mind is still kind of not, okay. It's always more. It's good to remember what uh, Ajahn Cha used to say, somewhat controversially, but I, I'm really pleased he said it. He says, look, if you have enough samadhi to read a book, you have enough samadhi to get enlightened. Now, he still encouraged us for the rest of our life, keep learning how to compose ourselves in the moment, but, but he didn't want us to get caught in this idea of, oh, I just need a little more, don't, don't bother me now, I'm getting a little more deep. He would want us to know if we're hurting somewhere, if we're suffering somewhere, if something that's distressful, to be able to also go, hey, oh, I don't want that. Or, I want more. The wanting and the not wanting, when one sees that, he says, eh, oh, we can let go right there. And that in and of itself already create, creates a climate that's more at ease, that then can lead to a deepening of gatheredness and a deepening of insight. In Thailand, there's a was a a lot of 
belief in spirits and this and that and a lot of monks, forest monks that had special powers at least people would talk about and so sometimes if you were uh, you know a monk there people would want to know Hinimitmai, have you seen some nimittas, have you seen some visions and maybe a few lottery numbers and <laughs> and, and Ajahn Chah would tell us he, what he was interested in us seeing he would say if someone asked you that you would say yes I see suffering <laughs> or I see Anichang that's the most important. And the key, we think, uh, you know, we... Anichang, uh, anicca is permanent. Anichang, not permanent. Not stable. Not certain. We think, oh, okay. We've done that, Kitty, so I, I'm sure Tanisha sure. Could you get on to not-self and emptiness? Our first meditation meeting in, in Johannesburg, we were teaching in uh, Africa and you know, teaching in a new land and a big guy came in and kind of sat down on his chair with a big gun sitting on his hip. Well, actually, he sat on the floor and kind of crossed his legs. And then at the end, he was very agitated that in my Dhamma talk, I didn't... What about emptiness? (laughs) (laughs) Fifteen years in the monastery? Emptiness! This is the... The magic key. The magic key that leads to all the profound recognition of anatta, selflessness, shunyata, emptiness, tatata, suchness. It's a recognition of change. But we can so easily overlook it. This moment with our gatheredness, which we can give a noun, a name to it, is another evening talk, day, whatever it is, I've lost count. Give a name to it. But as we come close, we notice the Dharma talk. Sounds like a thing. It's a good one, or a bad one, or a he does go on. <laughs> but if we get close, just n- notice the, the suchness of the talk is dissolving, manifesting and dissolving. Dharma talk, anicca. Sounds are coming and then dissolving. And that this moment, no, no, we're at Spirit Rock in the heart of the retreat and I'm, I'm, I'm getting there or I'm not getting there. But if we come close to this, this moment, there's a cascading change of sight as our eyes focus and blink 
intermixed with the sensations, the clothing touching our body. And any thoughts that we might be having. And our own attention shifting. That actually this, this present moment is cascading streams of changing sights and sounds and smells and tastes and sensations and perceptions. Yet the mind that, that, that grasps without even thinking about it takes things to be me and mine. I spent years, and it wasn't bad, I cultivated some good qualities, but I, I saw on the wall a national wrestling champion when I was five years old, and I saw the picture on the wall, and then we, I met this person, and he was helping us, and that's what I wanted to be. And we really worked for years wrestling. We even had a wrestling mat at home. Wrestled. Climb ropes, run, do push-ups. Before big tournaments, I was doing 500 push-ups a day. Walking on my hands for... I could walk on my hands for 50 yards, 100 yards. When I, I finally, when I was 17 years old, uh, we, we, got, we went up to this National Invitational Tournament up in Lehigh, Pennsylvania, and, uh, where all the prep schools were invited, and I got to the finals, and I had a very good match, and uh, everything was working, and then I won 13 to 4, and the referee held up my hand, and yes! Not that that was bad, it was lovely. Team cheering, parents taking pictures. Mom has it all in the scrapbooks. But within minutes of the picture of all the champions, in my mind was looking, who's coming back next year that I'm going to have to defend my title? Who might be in my way next year? So already... Already. Ah, Nietzsche. Even Sukha, even happiness has its dukkha in it when the grasping mind. Yet we, we like praise, we like to be appreciated, and that's, it's wonderful to be appreciated. But then when one, yes, that what's called becoming, grasping, becoming, and leaning on that condition. Upadana means to climb up on or lean on, which leads to birth. It, it, it's like when, when I was really, really sick for years, when I was tired, I used to look for walls to lean on or the next thing I could rest or lie down. But I would lean on things. It's like if I lean on a car, and someone drives the car off, what I'm, I f- fall down. Leaning on praise. Success. 
happiness, even that which pleases us. Yet language would, will, will tell us, no, this is, this, I'm a success, I'm, I'm happy. Or, or something that's painful, and we, we then move away from that to try to hold on to what is pleasing or successful. It's not evil. But when we lean on that condition and when it shifts, there's that, that's called birth when we take our stand for a moment. The focus is of the grasping mind. So if if the mind, whatever it's taking, trying to hold, I was champion, me, I, and after I had typhoid fever and Diarrhea for six months, urinating blood, typhoid fever, and sick for ten years, three years lying down. We call this body mine, we call these moods mine, we call these circumstances mine, but are they really? Looking, as Ajahn Chah would say, for certainty where there's no certainty, you're bound to suffer. Now, that, now the Buddha made much of this. He, he talked about, the, like on the opening night, the great blessings of taking refuge, the great blessings of keeping precepts, the blessing of making offerings. Those are wonderful, fruitful activities. He went through talking about the amazing blessings. But right at the top of the list, he said the most powerful thing, even one moment, he said one finger slap of seeing anicca. It's even more fruitful. Why are you just saying that? Why is that? Because that's the beginning of the great return. It's, it's, sangsara is continually through the objectification, the making into objects, making solid success, pleasure, mine. This is me, mine. And then, it, then it, when it keeps dissolving, and then we keep... Oh, the next one, the next one, the next one, at a certain point when there's recognition of that things keep dissolving, keep changing, there's the disenchantment. It's not a bad thing. A dispassion, a recognition, the way the, the return is starting to realize, oh, it's not just out there. when the Buddha gave his first talk. 
on these four ennobling truths. At the end of the talk, he recognized one of the disciples at a breakthrough. He said, Kundanyo knows. Kundanyo knows. You think, oh, tell us. What does he know? He said, Kundanyo knows all that arises ceases. might sound so ignorant, insignificant, but when we systematically, patiently start adjusting our presence, our attention, to start to, to notice that every sight, every sound, every sensation, and really importantly, every thought, I like it, I don't like it, I'm getting closer, I'm nowhere close now. Seeing that every thought beginning, begins and ends. The recognition that, that it's anicca. And to want it to be otherwise, Ajahn Chah said, is like standing next to a river and saying, well, why are you flowing that way? Come on, you can do it. Back up. <laughs> or he said, it's like boxing a tree. You're not going to win. <laughs> or uh, my favorite was, he says, it's like going up to a duck and saying, why aren't you a chicken? <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. Quack, quack, quack. It's all right. But you could wait. Cockle doodle doo. Come on, you can do it. Try it. Asking a duck why it's not a chicken. Wanting that which is impermanent to be permanent. That's what we're doing all the time. So when there's the letting be, when we when we allow conditions to be what they are, we they were laying down those burdens, those boulders. So the third noble truth is, is, is practicing letting things die. And that Kundanya who knew that all that arises ceases, he explained what helped him. Realize the deathless. Realize that which never dies. Later when he was talking about it, and he, he describes something that helped him in what's in a Mahayana teaching called the Sharangama Sutra. But the, the uh, insight happened on that first Dhamma talk. He said it was the, the analogy of the host guest the, the uh, guest uh, dust that helped him. He said, when light comes through a crack, we've all seen it, and the dust is dancing in the light. But the space is undisturbed. The dust dances. The space is unmoved. or a guest arrives at an inn or a hotel. 
hangs around a little while and then moves on. The guest comes and goes. But the host remains. The dust is just doing its thing. Its magic is to dance. Right now, the conditions of sound, they dance. That's what they do. Sound, sights, sensations, shift, dance. What is unmoved right in the midst? Morning was a guest that came and went. Midday a guest that came and went. Now, the evening, Dharma talks, a guest. Sounds are guests. What remains? Practicing, noticing. The arising and the ceasing. When the sound dies, do I just keel over? The heart, the awareness, the listening, the matrix, the context. When we're so enchanted, mesmerized, fooled by the language that concretizes and objectifies and makes real only the the forms and the, the opinions, the successes and the failures and the blame and we do not notice the space that all this movement, all this experience is happening in. So it is said that uh, as space is to form, like our form, we can notice who's here and who's not here. But what, if we widen our gaze a little bit and also notice that, uh, that what makes our coming and going possible is the wonderful space, just an analogy. But also notice space is not disturbed by what comes and goes. As space is to form, so is silence to sound. We're so mesmerized by the sounds. Oh gosh, I'm just fed up. I cannot believe it. I'm never again. Or, oh, this is wonderful. I'm dedicating my life. What the heck? My future lives to this path, all of them. I'm going all the way. (laughs) All the way up Nirvana Mountain. Oh God, I can't take another minute. Just can't can't bear if 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 I hear anybody say be kind, I'm gonna scream. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna scream. That sound dissolves back into the living silence. Quan Yin listens at ease to the sounds of the world as the sounds keep returning to the source. As space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all experience.
in that same uh, you know, this Sharangama Sutra, the Buddha talks about this. When he says the primary misconception about the mind and body is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. This idea that consciousness is some little byproduct that's maybe located somewhere. Primary misconception about the mind and body is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know, he says, that the physical body as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth, are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. This original brightness, this true mind that the Buddha woke up to, he couldn't believe it's here all along. What blocks us? This clinging. In that same teaching, the reason those who cultivate cannot accomplish awakening is that they do not know the two fundamental roots. In not understanding that, they're like one who cooks sand in the hope of creating a savory delicacy. That's an amazing image, isn't it? We can, we can really be diligent putting in... I am not a great cook, but helping my 98-year-old dad, you know, I'm, it's been amazing trying to do things. But if, I'm, if we're cooking sand... And even if I'm adding all the spices, you're not going to get a savory delicacy. If we don't understand these roots, what are the two? The root of beginningless birth and death is that mind that seizes upon conditions and takes it to be me and mine. That, it seems so innocent. Me, mine, that leaning on, holding, taking, and then when those conditions change, the loss of balance, and then seeking again. The root of birth and death is that grasping at conditions. The second root that we don't know is this primal, bright essence of consciousness this bright mind. We're so busy with our language thinking, this is real, it's me and mine, my success, my health, my pleasant feeling, my views. But that key, the wonderful key, is that wisdom reveals, when wisdom reveals that things change, that whatever rises ceases, then there's that recognition. Those moments when we see how ephemeral life is, then we, it's like the Buddha described it, like grasping air will we'll reap weariness. 
So then there's that dispassion and wisdom. Panyitarasabedama. Wisdom will overcome and penetrate every circumstance when our wise seeing into the nature of things. Vimutisarasabedama. Then it will recognize when we see what arises and ceases, we'll start to notice this stillness. What remains? The dust is dancing, the sounds are moving, the sensations are vibrating, but what remains? What's here? At the core of every single circumstance and condition is freedom. The next line of this teaching called the Mula Sutta, the root sutra in the Anguttara Nikaya is Amatogada Sabedama. All these separate things, up and down and here and there and liking and not liking and Everything merges in the deathless. Where does everything merge? We only know the complexity and separation that's created by our thinking mind, then we just see separations. But this time of year, this beautiful autumn, this fall, beautiful time of year, all these incredible leaves that fall back to the earth give us a clue. The mighty oak tree, the evergreen trees, the eucalyptus, the various indigenous, we, they all have their characteristics. But where do they merge? They're rooted down in the ground, and if a tree is not rooted in the ground, it's dead. It's just a piece of wood. If they seem so separate, but if we look more closely, we'll see they're rooted down into the ground, and every branch, every leaf that falls returns. Ground. Where's the ground of our being? Every sound, every experience is arising and returning into this source, this ground of listening, of presence, this brightness. All things merge in the deathless. Nibbana pariyosana Everything, every separate thing ceases. The separation ceases in Nibbana. So using this opportunity to be encouraged to 
be with change. Be with things emptying. It's there and it's gone. In asking what remains in our thoughts, what blocks us is this addiction to thinking, ever more thinking and complexity, what the Buddha called papancha, conceptual proliferation. The slightest little thought, even the shortest thought in our language, I, just a little line, I. So innocent. It's a little creation. You get an I, you get a you. (coughs) (laughs) And a they. And then you get an it. But as soon as you've got an it, then when it changes, oh my God, you've got to bring time in. Then you start getting the 10,000 things. Just these... Names. And as Tanisha was saying, we, we, we start getting shaped by our language if we're not careful. Start believing in all the entities, the objectification. So the, the, the Buddha taught that, that the uh, proliferating mind is, uh, will, will obscure us. And to practice what he called nipapancha. Practice noticing the changing nature of a thought. So in our monastic training, it was very helpful. Rather than thinking to figure out an answer, and that's useful. Thinking can have answers. It can discern whether something's skillful or not. But rather than thinking to get somewhere, what if we think just to reflect on the nature of thinking, like I am sitting. Notice that I am sitting. Notice the thought dissolve in the space, the silence. Explore that gap after the thought, before the next thought. Mind the gap, Ajahn Sumedho used to say, mind the gap, like they used to say in the London Underground, which is the gap between the trains and you have to be scared of the gap, don't fall into it. But in the meditators, we plunge into the gap. (laughs) Mind the gap. Or the question, who? When we're so stressed, who? Who's stressed? So the attention's focused on the stress, and there's the sense of it happening to somebody, this me. Who's stressed? Me! Then we hear that me well up, but it dissolves. And for a moment, the attention turns back around and notices the space.
The Buddha compared our mind to a sky. One of his famous teachings is there's no footprints in the sky. It's empty. There's no ground. There's no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. We're so quick to look for the sacred, the wise one, the true, out there somewhere. There are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. Worldly beings delight in complexity, in proliferation. The Buddha delights in the ending of that. Akase padang nanti samano nati bahire papancha birata paja nipapancha tatakata. The next stanza starts the same way. There are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. There are no eternal conditioned things. Buddhas never waver. Akase padang nati, samano nati bahire, sankara sasata nati, nati buddhanang injitang. That last line is quite amazing in the Pali. It starts off nati, which means no, buddhanang, what, no buddhas? Nati buddhanang injitang, buddhas never waver. The sky. Tanisha and I for 20 years have been living in Africa. In the summertime, when the storms come, in the afternoon, in the evening, the rumble, the thunder, the extraordinary lightning flashes. I've never seen them up so close. Extraordinary. They, they flash and they even, I never knew till I got there that maybe it's my eyes, but the purple haze around the lightning. And you see it and you just want it to last a little bit longer to try to catch it and it's gone. But then the next one comes and the next one. The Buddha described our experiences like a lightning flash. So we try to catch it, we can't. But he said when we contemplate such, when we really with the ephemeral nature of the lightning. Let it be what it is. It's ungraspable. We then begin to notice the immensity of the sky. Deep, luminous, immeasurable. We can be in awe, appreciate the lightning. As it rises and ceases in the unmoving, Buddhas never waver because they're not looking for certainty in that which is uncertain. So I encourage us to take heart, even if you think, oh God, I have so far to go. (laughs) Can we notice the impermanence of that thought? I have so... Far to go. I'm not joking, Kitty Sorrow. I have so (laughs) 
far to go. No, the pure heart can't be here. It's the sages out there. I have so... And we can... It was when I started to get the feeling of the background, it was wonderful. I invited all my frightening thoughts to come in and I would say this and that and it would arise and cease back into this ground of listening. That which remains. Even if we think it's a write-off, every next sound can be a taxi, free taxi that takes us back to the silence. Back to the ground back to the place where all things merge and where there's wholeness, where there's healing. And we're doomed, doomed to wake up. Because even that first noticing of change, there's a hairline flat fracture in our sense that we're really going to get it out there. Once we start noticing things dissolve, that's the beginning of the homecoming. So let's be kind and patient and celebrate. There's a lot to give thanks for as we come into Thanksgiving, that we, we are on a homecoming route and we can live in a way which will will bless our body, our family, our ancestors, our community, our world. I have to finish with there's a contemporary of our teacher Ajahn Chah, another great forest master of Thailand named Ajahn Mahabhu. He was fierce. He worked hard. But he had a really beautiful soft heart inside. And this is what I want to finish with. When dukkha is completely stopped, nothing remains. All that remains is an entirely pure awareness. It's not even a noble truth. It's the purity of the heart. If you want to call it Nibbana, if you won't, call it Nibbana. All that I ask is that you know this marvelous, extraordinary Dharma. Its its excellence exists of its own accord without our having to confer titles. It's the purity of the heart. If you want, you can call it Nibbana. All that I ask is that you know this marvelous, extraordinary Dharma. Its excellence exists of its own accord without our having to confer titles.
So for those who need to rest, uh, rest well. For those who wish to do a little walking and have another sitting at 9 o'clock, see you later. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.